This year is brought to you by TorahWeb.org. Shalom Aleichem, I will say. The marvels and mores of society are, are pervasive. And it, it seems as if that their influence is, is omnipresent. But certainly one of the areas, one of the spheres in which societal influence is felt is in the workplace. Society's morals permeate the workplace and shape its culture. And accordingly, as modern society hurdles <coughs> in free fall, <coughs> excuse me, as modern society hurdles in free fall, further and further away from Torah morality, the challenges that we encounter in the workplace proliferate and intensify. One particular challenge which I was asked to address this evening, at times particularly painful and sensitive, is that of homosexuality, LGBT, lobby, and culture. We'll we'll try to address some representative questions and, and scenarios, and in so doing, go back and forth, min haklal al aprat, min aprat al haklal, in an attempt to discover guidelines that apply to these specific questions and scenarios that, that we'll, we'll mention shortly, Bezus Assembly Nether, but then also can be applied to other situations of which there is just so many, so many varieties. What should one's attitude be towards a colleague at work who is a homosexual? Is it appropriate to have a collegial relationship? Is it appropriate to to allow a friendship to to develop and flourish? Or should it or should one remain within the boundaries of common courtesy and common decency, but but not go further than that, not go beyond that. What happens if such a colleague would would extend an invitation to his or her homosexual wedding or that of a child in in the name of collegiality or or, or friendship is it appropriate to attend or not 
What what happens if in the company where one works, employees have been encouraged to place table tents on their desk, which announce that the person who who features this, it says that 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 person is an LGBTQ ally. It's not technically required to do so, but the vibes are, are unmistakable that one is strongly encouraged to do so, and that not doing so would, in all likelihood, limit and stunt career growth and, and advancement. So h- how, do, how do we navigate such situations? And again, we'll, we need specific situations to try to concretize what we're talking about, but, but th- th- these are in, in, in the vein of Yotsum and Akal, Lilamed Al-Akal Kulo. So the first very basic fact and distinction which we need to review in this context is that the question only arises with regard to the the co-worker, the the colleague who is a practicing homosexual. The, The Torah categorically bans homosexual behavior the Torah is silent regarding homosexual orientation if an individual feels that he or she has such an orientation. The Torah is silent about that. It doesn't constitute any violation. And as such, it doesn't pose any questions. So throughout uh, the share, throughout our discussion, the questions are spawned and revolve around relating to homosexual behavior. With that in mind, so let's turn to the first question. What what kind of relationship is is possible with with a co-worker who clearly, openly is a a, a practicing homosexual? So there are actually three piske halacha, the Rambam, which, which are relevant which are potentially relevant to, to this question. One is in Hilchus Deus, when the Rambam writes in, in Paragvav Hilchus Deus, Halochi Gimel, Mitzvah kol Odom le'ovis kol echad ve'echad mi Yisrael kegufa. There's a mitzvah to love every fellow Jew kegufa. Elsewhere, the Rambam even Elsewhere in this sugya, the Rambam has a modifier of achicha b'tavu mitzvos. He speaks of 
a, a, a level of religious observance, and here, very significantly, he doesn't. There's no, within Hilchaz Deus, there's no condition of what the level of religious observance of that fellow Jew is. Mitzvah kol odem levos kol echad ve'echad mi Yisrael. One Rambam. A second Rambam, after in the Rambam's Hagdama to Parakhelek, where he lists the 13 principles which define Jewish faith, the Rambam says that if a person denies any of these principles, so then one of the consequences of that heretical denial is that the mitzvahs ben Adam which which govern interpersonal, interfamilial, the, the Jewish people are, are, are one large family, which govern the interfamilial relations, don't don't apply to said individual, and it's clear, it, it's clear, it's it's quite explicit in in the Rambam that the mitzvah of wouldn't apply when we're not only, when we're speaking not just of lack of observance, <coughs> excuse me, but what we're speaking of is, is, is heretical denial of principles of faith. But there is a third Rambam. Again, e- each of these are, are, uh, are, are, are well-known sources. None of them are. Uh, none of them are are, 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 are are discoveries. The Rambam writes in Hilchos Mamrem when speaking about Stukim and Baisusim were in their medieval nomenclature Karayim who deny the Torah and as such, certainly that is that that clashes with one of the Yud Gimel and certainly is a, a heretical denial. The Ramam says that, B'nai, that, that the harsh line which one should adopt vis-a-vis heretics doesn't apply to B'nai Osan Hatoim U'v'nei Doesn't apply to the second generation and certainly not to the third generation. Because these individuals, sadly, tragically, they were born into that religious theological confusion. They were raised with that religious and theological confusion. And, and they're no different than a Tinoch Shanishpa, than, than an individual of Ahmad who was taken captive as an infant and didn't receive proper proper chinuch. I'm skipping a few lines. The fichach, because of this extenuating factor, one should be preoccupied with, one should be involved in Kiruv. One should be looking to share the beauty and truth of Torah with them. 
And rather than rejecting them, one should be looking to draw them close, but Darke Shalom, so that they'll have the opportunity, so that they're, they're given the invitation. So three different halachas in November. Returning to, to our question as to what type of relationship can, should exist, when the, for purposes of, of tonight's shir, so we're, we're focusing on, on a Jewish co-worker with a little bit of extra analysis and supplement resources, a very similar scheme and, and approach w- w- would emerge for a, a non-Jewish co-worker, but it, it's beyond the, the scope of, uh, of tonight's shir. So what type of relationship is possible? So one need to assess which of these halachas is the operative halacha at hand, given given the partic- the particulars of that situation, given the individual. Clearly, often it's either going to be the Rambam and Hilchos Deus of mitzvah leh of kol echad veechad Yisrael, or the, the confusion in this area has reigned long enough that the Ram Hukzmamim is also going to often be be applicable. And and clearly clearly often either of these two Rambams will be the, the operative one. Is it possible, are there times when the the Rambam in the Parish of Mishnayis will be the operative one? Absolutely. There are such situations. And, and they, they, if and when, Rahman Atzlan, they, they, uh, they present themselves, they should be recognized for what they are. And then the Rambam in the Parish of Mishnayis, which says that there's a complete suspension of of the mitzvah of Avas Yisrael and all interfamilial, all interfamilial mitzvahs, and on the contrary, when that's relevant, if that's relevant tragically, then that's what needs to be invoked. And then it wouldn't allow for a friendship to develop and, and, and flourish. It would mean that one were, one were, one would be guided by basic basic courtesy and and decency, but it it wouldn't really allow for a relationship beyond that. Let 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 let's let's continue. So what happens hypothetically? Interestingly, maybe I'll just uh, just mention you know. This distinction that the Rambam draws, that in Hilchus Deus he speaks of, regardless of, of level of religious observance of the mitzvah of Yisrael, unless the, the caveat that he adds in the Parish of Mishnayis, it's interesting, 
you have something really parallel to that in what is perhaps one of the most classic expressions and, and formulations of the mitzvah of Yisrael, which is found in, in the Tanya. So the Tanya says as follows, Misha eno chavero, and in context, based on what he writes two, three lines earlier, he, he means Misha eno chavero betorah. There's a religious gap. There's, there's, a, there's a very real distance and, and, and gap religiously. Be from the disciples of Aaron Akohen. Oev Shalom Lechulu. Oev Esabrios Umekarvin Torah. Love. And in that love, through that love, bring them closer to Torah. Loma, even those who unfortunately presently are still distant from Torah, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah and serving Him. Person has to draw them close, with the cords of love, Maybe success isn't guaranteed, but maybe the person will succeed in in Kiruf. The Hain Lo, and if not, but he did his mitzvah. Lo mitzvah's and then he adds at the end of, of this parak, David Amelech only renounced Avas Yisrael El Al Only with regard to heretics, paralleling the two Rambams in Hilchos and the Parish Mishnahs. Okay, so again. One needs to assess the situation at hand as we discussed. Now, well, what happens, let, let's say either the Rambam and Hilchus let's say the Rambam and Hilchus was, was relevant. Maybe the Rambam and Hilchus was relevant. And as a result, a close relationship has developed and again, for purposes of tonight's share, we're focusing on a, uh, a Jewish co-worker, but again, with the same, uh, the same caveat mentioned before. And then, given that relationship, so one day, one receives an invitation, either that co-worker is extending an invitation to his or her own homosexual wedding, without a child. Does the does the mitzvah lehov does it does it spill over even in, in this situation or not? See here it, it's very, very important that that we understand that the mitzvah which transcends difference in degrees in religious observance can and does, but only relates to 
to the person. It does not, cannot ever spill over in such a way that it validates the behavior. The mitzvah of lev kol echad ve'echad mi'israel, of limshoch, in the Balatanya's phrase, relates to the individual. It, it does not give license to in any way validate, legitimate, and al-achas kama v'kama to celebrate behavior which the Torah categorically prohibits. There is a Gemara in, in, in Megillah, a, a, a frightening Gemara in, in, in Megillah. The Gemara in Megillah asks, why is it that in the time of Achashverosh, in the time of, of, of Mordechai and Esther, why is it that we came so close to the precipice, Rachman al-Etzlan, of, of, of destruction? Because they attended Achashverosh's party and they they enjoyed. Why, why was that so egregious that that it brought us to the precipice of of, of unmitigated disaster? So earlier on the previous omen, the Gemara tells us that Achashverosh timed his mishta, timed his party. But when he thought, obviously, erroneously, that the Nevoah of Yemiyahu, that we would be redeemed after 70 years, when he thought that 70 years had come and gone, and that Nevoah had not materialized, so then he sponsored, he threw this lavish party to celebrate the fact that the Chorvan Abayis was going to be in, in 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 his in his twisted mind was going to be permanent. It's it's one thing. It's it, it's bad enough if a Jew doesn't mourn the Beis Hamikdash, but to celebrate, to celebrate. One can attend a, a, a wedding happily. One can attend a wedding out of a sense of obligation. But whatever the impetus to attend a wedding is, attending a wedding means participating in a celebration. In a celebration of the wedding. That, that's what it is by definition. That's one's presence at a wedding means and, and, and can't honestly be interpreted in any other way 
It means being a part of the celebration for that wedding. To celebrate something that defies Devar Hashem is a Chilol Hashem. To celebrate something that defies Devar Hashem is a Chilol Hashem. What if, what if I've grown, grown so close and appropriately to this coworker? He feels like a brother to me. And I'm like a brother to him. We feel more like family than, than we do coworkers. It's the same. A person can't celebrate behavior which contradicts and defies Ritzon Hashem Devar Hashem regardless of, of what my relationship with my, my co-worker with that individual is What we're discussing is absolutely compelling. You know, there, there, there are some questions which are given to debate, given to difference of opinion, and, and some questions the answer is simple and absolute and compelling. And, and this is such an example. And yet, and as such, it should be something instinctive. Our instinctive, visceral reaction should be, I can't. How, how, can, how can I celebrate defiance of, of Dvar Hashem? And yet, that often is not our instinctive, visceral reaction. Often, we're confused, conflicted. Out of that confusion and conflict emerge thoughts, words, and even actions that, that are just so wrong and so also. But how is that? How can it be that something which is so straightforward and so absolutely compelling, how can it be that we collectively, communally, some of us find ourselves confused and conflicted? Let's, as a engaging in a, in a collective cheshvan anafesh, let's perhaps mention a few factors. By no means is this comprehensive. It's not intended to be comprehensive. But let's mention a few factors. We mentioned earlier the pasuk. We just read it um, 
just read it, Pashas Achimimos Kedoshim. We just read the post. Kemasei Eretz Mitzrayim, Asher Yishavtem Bolo Sasu. Uchmasei Eretz Kanan, Asher Ani Medi Aschem Shoma, Lo Sasu, V'chuk Haseim, Lo Selechuk. So the Torah identifies Eretz Mitzrayim for us. Kemasei Eretz Mitzrayim, like the behavior of the inhabitants of Eretz Mitzrayim, Asher Yishavtem Bo, where you resided. Remember that? Remember where you, you lived for 210 years? Some people are blessed with wonderful memories. Some people, like me, don't enjoy that blessing. But I don't know. Maybe if you live somewhere for a week, so maybe it doesn't make such an impression on one individually or on the national psyche. But to be enslaved somewhere for 210 years, we know what Eretz Mitzrayim is. The Torah doesn't need to identify Eretz Mitzrayim. And similarly, we know where we're headed. Kamase Eretz Kanan, we know where we're headed. So why does the Torah find it necessary to identify? Kamase Eretz Mitzrayim, she yeshavtem bo. Kamase Eretz Kanan, ashani maybe Eschem Shama. Eretz Mitzrayim, where you resided. Eretz Canaan, where you're headed. I know, I know what Eretz Mitzrayim is. I know what Eretz Canaan is. Answer. The Torah says, lest, this is what the Torah addresses us and, and tells us, lest you think that the behavior in Mitzrayim and Canaan was so repulsive and so repugnant that I don't have to really be concerned with other, with, with, with ever engaging in such behavior. I'm not susceptible to it. So, okay, it's, it's, it's in the Minyan Mitzvahs, but I can sort of check off that box. It's not going to require any effort. It's not going to require any particular mindfulness on, on my part. Because it's just so far beyond where I am, where my sensibilities are. Comes the time and says, Eretz Mitzrayim You live somewhere, the Torah tells us. You're susceptible to influence. It doesn't matter initially how far removed you feel from the surrounding society. A person lives somewhere long enough, so sensibilities and sensitivities become dulled, and clarity gives way to confusion. And hence the Torah says, because Eretz Nisayim is Asher Yeshav Timba, and Eretz Kanan is Asher Nimei Shama, you're going to live there for hundreds of years, you need to be exceedingly careful not to be influenced, to push back and make a concerted effort, because the default setting, given human nature, is that if it's Asher Yeshavtem, but we are influenced. One, one perspective, perhaps, on, on our current sense of confusion and conflictedness. Another one, again, 
in the vein of making a cheshbon anafesh, a cheshbon anafesh needs to be completely honest. Even when honesty includes pain. Let's take a moshul amad of Now let's say certain types of jokes, certain types of humor are off color. And let's say someone would never tell such a joke, but when he hears such a joke, he enjoys it. He'll get a good laugh. He'll get a good laugh out of it. So how do we sort of, how do we make sense of that? He recognizes that there's something very inappropriate about it. He recognizes that it's off color. Sufficiently so that, that he wouldn't initiate. And yet, if, if he hears, he enjoys. So the answer is that his sense of principle is superficial. If it's superficial, it can prevent me from initiating but it, it won't shape and determine and mold my reaction. There's one level of commitment which is which suffices in terms of what action I embark upon, but it's an altogether different and deeper level of commitment and conviction which will determine my reactions. It's, it's, it's something for us to think about, Rabbi The third perspective I wanted to suggest, I'd like to introduce with, with, with a story that, that I, I heard from the, the Baal HaMaisa, the person involved with the story. I'm not using his real name. I'm, I'm, I'll use the name, say, Goldberg. That, that wasn't his name. He, he, he was a Rav in the 50s when there was a tide which at the time was a very powerful tide sweeping through Orthodox communities where many shuls succumbed to pressure and they removed mechitzas they somewhat, not somewhat, they anomalously continued to self-identify as Orthodox. But they, they removed the Mechitza because conservative Judaism was on the ascendancy and they felt that the only way they could hold on to their membership was to, was to compete. I also will also remove our machitza. So this rav was getting intense pressure from his balabatha. And finally, the pressure became so great that he relented and said, okay, I'm going to call Rav Soloveitchik and I'll follow what he says. So he agreed to pose the question. So he calls up 
And he's making the case. He's making the case we're losing the youth. They're all going to the conservative temple. This is the only way we can hold on to the youth. It's the only way we can save souls. And, and the Rav says to him, Goldberg, he says, don't bring me Mashiach. Your job is to uphold Torah, to teach Torah. Don't bring me Mashiach. And if the pressure is too intense, so then leave the Rabbonus, come back to a, a stronger Jewish community, don't bring me Mashiach. Sometimes, and, and I think it comes from a good place in our hearts, we're looking to bring Mashiach in the sense that we feel that we have to be able to cater to every individual on his terms. So no matter what set of self-contradictory impossible terms that individual or that group of individuals dictates, so that bring me Mashiach in us, says how, we have to be able to accommodate them because otherwise aren't we leaving them behind and isn't that unthinkable? And that's what the Rav explained. Don't bring me Mashiach. HaKadosh Baruch Hu charged us with the mandate of teaching as effectively, as sympathetically, as empathetically as possible, genuine, authentic Torah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't, didn't, didn't authorize us to make changes in order to accommodate a, a self-contradictory set of conditions which are being dictated. No matter how much love one has for one's fellow Jew, if one is challenged to square a circle, so the answer is, I can't. I can't square a circle. There's no such thing as a square circle. If you're asking for a square circle, it's no reflection on my lack of ahava. It's a reflection on the self-contradictory nature of your demand. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as recognizing the gay lifestyle as being consistent with Orthodox lifestyle. That's no more possible than a square circle. And, and we need to, to remember and we need to internalize what the Rav said, don't bring me Mashiach. Because when a person thinks he's bringing Mashiach, he's holding back Mashiach. A person's holding, Mashiach is going to come. Mashiach is going to come when, when, when we're devoted to Torah and Mitzvah. That's the way a person brings Mashiach. And when we're dictated a, a self-contradictory set of terms and conditions, even though our every impulse always is that we want to help, we want to respond, we want to do, we can't square a circle. We cannot square a circle. There is no such thing 
as an orthodox, as a gay orthodox lifestyle. That the, the tshuva that the Rav wrote in the 50s about the issue of machitza, again, he was talking about the issue of machitza. It's no less relevant, no less applicable to our issue today, arguably more so. In particular, I wish to call the attention of the conference, I think an RCA conference, to the Mechitza problem. I continually, the Rav writes, receive reports from laymen from all parts of the country (coughs) accusing many rabbis of displaying indecisiveness and even cowardice in this matter. No rabbi, I'm skipping, no rabbi, however great in scholarship and moral integrity, has the authority to endorse, legalize, or even apologetically explain this basic deviation. Any rabbi or scholar who attempts to sanction, again, the rabbi is speaking of the desecrated synagogue, but one can substitute for, for our our situation at hand, ipso facto casts a doubt on his own moral right to function as a teacher or spiritual leader in the traditional sense of the word. No pretext, excuse, ad hoc formula, missionary complex, right? Don't bring your Mashiach, right? Missionary complex or unfounded fear of losing our foothold in the Jewish community can justify the acceptance of, again, the Rav is speaking about, about removing the Mechitza, the Christianized synagogue, as a bona fide Jewish religious institution. With, with a slight emendation, it, it reads and addresses our situation at hand. I know beforehand, and, and these next words are so important, Rabbi Osai, so, so important. I know beforehand the reaction to my letter on the part of our apostles of religious, quote, modernism, unquote, and, quote, utilitarianism, unquote. They will certainly say that since a great majority of the recently constructed synagogues have abandoned separated seating, they'll certainly say since there are so many practicing homosexuals, we must not be out of step with the masses. This type of reasoning, says the Rav, could well be employed with regard to other religious precepts, such as the observance of Shabbos or the dietary laws. However, we must remember that an ethical or halachic principle decreed by God is not rendered void by the fact that people refuse to abide by it. Its cogency and veracity are perennial, and independent of compliance on the part of the multitudes. If the ethical norm, thou shalt not kill, has not lost its validity during the days of extermination camps and gas chambers, when millions of people were engaged in ruthless murder, but on the contrary, has been impregnated with deeper meaning and significance, then every halachic maxim assumes greater import in times of widespread disregard and unconcern. The greater the difficulty, 
the more biting the ridicule and sarcasm. And the more numerous the opponent, then the holier is the principle and the more sacred is our duty to defend it. And we would add, in our context, the more biting the accusations of being insensitive and unsympathetic, the more, the more one is maligned by having one's principled reaction of saying that one cannot square a circle, that one cannot authorize what the Torah categorically prohibits, then the holier is the principle and the more sacred is our duty to defend it. In my opinion, the halachic dictum, Bishas Gzeres HaMalchus, Afil Mitzvah Kala Kegon L'Shinuye Arkasa Demesana Yehoig Val at a time of religious persecution through governmental decree, even for a minor custom, such as, in, as one involving changing a, a shoelace, let one suffer death sooner than transgress it, requiring of us a heroic stand in times of adversity, applies not only to political and religious persecution originated by some pagan ruler, but also to situations in which a small number of God-fearing and Torah-loyal people is confronted with a hostile attitude on the part of the majority dominated by a false philosophy. Briefly, the the last of the, the three scenarios in terms of placing a tent on one's desk, self-identifying as an LGBTQT ally, if what that represented was simply advocating for people with homosexual orientation that they should be treated like everyone else, that chas v'shalom, that they should suffer any discrimination, they should be welcomed and embraced as everyone else, then we certainly could identify as an ally. We could and would and do. But since what, what that term actually represents is aggressively promoting a lifestyle, a homosexual lifestyle, an, altern- an, al- an alternate morality. So once again, without using the word, the term lightly, or Rahman al-Islam flippantly, it's a chil Hashem to identify with that. And regardless of what consequences it has for one's career, one needs to remain principled. Certainly in, in, in looking for job opportunities, this is a major factor that should be considered. The corporate culture 
and and what pressures are associated with the corporate culture is is something that that a person should look to discover and then assign it the appropriate weight in in his decision as to where he accepts employment and as to where he, he looks to, to make his career. There's no question that what we've been talking about, the limits of our interpersonal relationships with colleagues, the limits that the crucial distinction between relating to the person, but without validating and certainly not celebrating the behavior, there's no question that, that it's something which is, is difficult, it's, it's challenging for us. Jews are Achmonim, Gomli Chasadim, saying yes and accommodating is something which comes easily to us, having to say no because we're being asked to square a circle because to say yes would involve a chil Hashem, that's not the that's not that's not the reaction that we want to have to implement. But maybe we can derive some strength and inspiration from a beautiful Meshachachma. Meshachachma comments on a passage that we quote in the Haggadah. Yochum Eresh Chodesh Talmud Loma Bayomahu I Bayomahu Yochum Mirivod Yom Talmud Loma Bavu Bavu Zelo Amati El Bishor Sheish Matsu Moro Menochum Lefanacha The mitzvah of Sipu Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim to recount all the miracles of the Exodus is when the matzah and moror, when there's a mitzvah to consume the matzah and moror, i.e. the night of the 15th. Says the Meshul Chochma, why do, why do Chazal speak of matzah and moror? It should have been b'shor sheyesh pesach matzah and moror menachem lefanecha. The Pasuk says that the mitzvah sibu etzies mitzrayim is, you'll tell your son, Bab was there. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of mitzrayim so that I would fulfill these mitzvahs. For the sake, so that I, so that I would fulfill these mitzvahs. So why mention only matzah and moror? Why not mention Pesach matzah and moror? So he answers with a marshal. He says, a couple marry off their daughter. And initially, they're providing support for the young couple. The, the mother sees how well the couple is doing, how royally their son-in-law treats their daughter, and she's overjoyed at, at, at how successful the shidduch is. Her husband tells her that that judgment is premature. He says, right now, he says, everything is easy. They have no worries, no responsibilities. 
we're providing for all their needs. Let's wait until they have to stand on their own two feet. Let's wait until the son-in-law assumes responsibility for supporting his family. And let's see then, given that challenge, given the difficulty which may be associated with it, given the possible adversity that may be associated with it, let's see then, then we'll be able to judge what kind of son-in-law he is, what kind of husband he is. Says the Meshachachma, what's the nimshal, what's the analog? He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Mitzvahim, Bavu that we should fulfill his mitzvahs. But the ultimate test of our loyalty and faithfulness to the Yibam Shalom is not at that time of history when we have Pesach, Matzah, and Mora. Not when the Beis HaMikdash is standing and it's been made David Shlomo and everyone is Ishtach is Gafno, Ishtach is Tainoso. When, 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 when conditions are optimal, maybe even approaching utopian, that's not, what, that's not the test of loyalty. The test of faithfulness to the Ram Shalom. The test, Bav was there, took us out and signed Bav was there to see whether we'll be loyal and faithful to his mitzvahs at a time in history when there's no Pesach, when there's Chorban Avayis, when the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed and we're in Golos and we're suffering adversity. Akadosh wants to see Bav was there when there's only Mats and Moror. That's when we really express our commitment and our devotion and our dedication and our principles. When we're confronted with a situation which is not easy, which is emotionally difficult, which is emotionally trying, Thank you very much for listening.